Okay, so we've already established texting is probably the best way to connect with candidates, right? Plus, next stats show 73% of professionals are open to receiving job opportunities via text. And with a 99% delivery rate, you cannot go wrong. Those are two big reasons why you gotta love text to hire from next. That's right, text to hire from next with the double X not the triple X. Next has over 8 million candidates who have opted in to receive jobs via text, and you and your clients need qualified candidates. Next can help you find and target qualified candidates who have opted in for job opportunities via text. And in today's competitive market, you need an edge to reach qualified candidates faster. You need text to hire from Next. Just go to chadcheese.com and click on the next logo to learn more about how you can gain a competitive edge with opt-in texting. Text to hire from Next. It just makes sense. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All right. Hey, this is Chad. We have a cheese free that's lactose intolerant people are gonna love this one cheese free podcast i have uh the rothbergs our our favorite couple who obviously listen to, to, to the podcast we have faith rothberg the brains and then we've got uh steven rothberg the um i still don't know yet what what uh the the brawn the, the comedic the, com, the the comedic sidekick of of all the Rothberg couples that you know we are definitely your favorite <laughs> number one no yeah and then we also have uh, my beautiful wife uh, Julie Sowash uh, the co-host of Crazy in the King podcast hey everyone so that being said here's how this goes. Our favorite couple, the Rothbergs, love us for our podcast, obviously. And they said, you know we what? Do. We uh, <laughs> We've got something that we want to talk about. So can you pull the mics out? Can we have a conversation? I said, hell, why not? I mean, it's, it, it sounds like a good time. So uh, we'll see how this turns out. You guys want to talk about college and talk about uh, some of the mess that we're currently in. Uh, not to mention, start talking about some of the disparity pieces. So, Stephen, Faith, what what are you seeing? I mean, this is this is actually your space. Yeah. So it's it's definitely it's an area of real concern for us. So, um, our business college recruit is a, a job search site for students and recent grads. Um, and one thing that we've seen a lot since um, since we went live way back in 1996 is just the incredible change in financial abilities and and um, problems that students and recent grads are having and a lot of it is due to the rapidly increasing tuition yeah. and student loan burdens um, that right. they're facing and like you said there's a huge disparity so schools like Harvard that you mentioned their endowment is so large that they could make every student uh, they could allow every student to go for free to Harvard forever uh, yeah and ridiculous, right? And Harvard's you know, not and, cheap. And, yeah, and, and it's exactly as Harvard is is definitely one of the more expensive schools. And then on the flip side, um, and Faith pulled together some numbers. You've got uh, historically 
black colleges and universities, HBCUs, as, as most people would refer to them as when they don't have 14 minutes, um, <laughs> to where they're just literally struggling to keep the lights on. Right. And you've got, you know, broken windows letting in pigeons and shit like that. Yeah. And um, the, the disparity is incredible. And then we wonder why people who graduate from certain schools you know, graduate making $120,000 a year and others are graduating making $22,000 a year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When we looked at some of the statistics, it's mind boggling. First of all, in general, there's $1.5 million of student debt right now. trillion. Um, which is just a number that I can't even fathom. Yeah. I mean, how do you put your arms around $1.5 trillion in student debt? I can put my arms debt? around $1.5 trillion. <laughs> 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 the thing that's crazy is also, like we said, how fast not only tuition's growing, but how fast that debt is growing. Right. Um, and when it comes to HBCUs, 70% of the students at HBCUs do get Pell Grants, yeah. which... Um, which help a lot, but because of the increases in tuition, there's still a need for loans to fill the gap between what the school can help with and what uh, right. and those these aren't interest-free loans either. In most cases, no, right? and most the interest rates are much higher than like mortgage loans yeah. for wow. us to have our own house. Right? I mean, six percent, six point eight percent. I mean, the the debt on my or the interest rate on my student loans, which are set by Congress, the interest rates are are twice of what my car payment or car interest loan is more than twice what our house payment is or our house mortgage and i mean yeah and i'm really looking at a student loan payment that may actually be larger than our house payment and if you were to file for bankruptcy you could get rid of your car loan you could get rid of your home loan and you could get rid of your credit card debt but you can never get rid of your student debt right so that is going to hang over your head forever yeah and I think there's like a misperception too that uh, if you have student loan debt that you don't want to pay it back and that, you know, we're looking at political candidates who want to do student loan forgiveness and do all those kind of things. And I think that's a misnomer. I don't have any problem paying back the debt that I, I borrowed. I do have a problem funding Congress and, and funding spending that I don't have any benefit to at a rate that's not reasonable. I mean, we're talking really about, you know, the HBCUs and everything with black students coming out with substantially more debt than white students, you can't start to make up that wealth gap and and that generational wealth gap that continues to happen with black and brown students until we start to put some parameters and some minimizations around how much they have to borrow because it's just like being a first time college grad in my family. I have more debt than my kids are going to have, but we're still they're still going to have more debt than people who've been able to go to college and have less than loans, you know, for a long time. And it, it's just like this cycle that never ends. Faith, you had some numbers on the indebtedness by students from HBCUs yeah. versus overall. How disparate it is. So for non-HBCU students, there's uh, 55% of those students have student loans. But for HBCU students, 80%. Um, of the students wow. have those loans. So it's definitely disparate. Right now it says that black grads owe an average of $7,400 more in 
more than their white peers, um, and that's expected to triple over the next few years to $25,000. Difference? Difference. Yeah, difference, yeah, higher. So we talk about disparity, right? And this is the thing that really pisses me off, is that first and foremost, you know, I understand that we want to ensure that uh, colleges and universities are are, are being run well. And you take a look at, at a lot of the research money that's going in. I believe Johns Hopkins actually receives more research money than all the HBCUs, right? So I mean, so that, so that, yep. I mean, just that piece of disparity in itself, where the money's actually being thrown to this one, you know, university and well-known university, totally get it. But all these HBCUs right. are very well-known, you know, as well. Um, so I mean, that's the thing is that we have this the cycle of disparity, and it and, and it's it's even in the educational system. Oh yeah, we're totally perpetuating it by not having, they don't get the federal funding for research, like you said, and then therefore their students don't get as involved in that research and they're not building, um, many of the other universities can use that research money and give a better education to their students, right? right? right. And these um, HBCUs are just, they're basically just getting enough money to keep the lights on. And that's not the same thing. Right, right. Yeah, they can't they can't build on the actual really the the, the college, the university, on the the, the programs, any right. of that, on right? The curriculum exactly. Yeah, I mean dropping football, dropping sports because it, yeah. it costs too much, right? Yep. Yeah, the so when I graduated um, from law school way back, and I'm hopefully a fully recovered lawyer, Faith will disagree with that <laughs> most of the time, um, and the rest of the time she's sleeping. But when I graduated, um, the tuition at the school that I went to, University of Minnesota Top 20 Law School, the in-state tuition was $3,500 a year, and the out-of-state tuition was $7,500 a year. So fortunately, I qualified for in-state. They made it pretty easy to get residency. Uh-huh. But a friend of ours was just looking at going to, well, a friend of one of our kids is looking at going to law school, and he told me that that, that law school now is $38,000 a year. Holy shit! So it's gone up tenfold yeah. from what I paid. And the, the salaries, the starting salaries have not gone up tenfold. Correct. No. Yeah. I mean, lawyers lawyers who come out of the University of Minnesota are certainly not generally going to be struggling. Right. Yeah, right. To put food on the table. Yeah. But when I graduated, it was very, very common for um, somebody making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year upon graduation. Uh-huh. None of them are graduating making five hundred or six hundred thousand dollars a year. They might be making eighty. Right. You know, it might be yeah. it might have gone up by fifty yeah. percent, but it certainly hasn't gone up by tenfold. Um, and the um, Faith pulled some numbers that. In 2006, so 13 years ago, the total student indebtedness was about 480 billion, 480. And then eight years later, it had more than doubled to 1.2 trillion. And then just a couple years later, in 2016, it was at 1.4 trillion. So as bad as it was a decade ago, 15 years ago, it's just it's escalating. It's 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 becoming it's exponential. Yeah. It's accelerating. Thank you. It's becoming yeah exponentially more difficult year over year over year. Um, you know the mayor from you know near where you guys live, um, uh, Pete Buttigieg, which he and he and his husband have. I'm glad you can say that name. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of practice. A lot of practice. A lot of bourbon. Um, he he and his husband have one hundred and thirty thousand dollars in student loan debt, and. If they're paying at 5%, which would 
be pretty normal, uh-huh. but not like on the cheap side. That would right. just be sort of in the normal bracket range. Um, and a, um, of our 10-year Lo- ten year a ten-year loan. I think I figured that that was something in the neighborhood of like forty to fifty thousand um, dollars. That 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 they would need to sort of make a year to to finance that debt. Yeah. Um, an average student debt is like forty thousand dollars a year at five percent over ten years. That's sixty-three hundred dollars a year that they need to make. Because then you take taxes out of that, and then five thousand dollars a year goes to your loan payment. Right. So, you know, if you're graduating in to average college grad makes about forty five, forty six thousand dollars a year, uh-huh. right? And sixty three hundred dollars of that, right off the top, is going to your student loans, and then you've got housing, which very normal in a second tier city like in Indianapolis, where you guys are, Minneapolis, where we are, it's very normal for housing to be a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. So that's another twelve grand. Yeah. Right before you know it, you've lost half of your income to student loans and housing, and then we wonder why people are living in their parents' basements. Not making it. It's because yeah. they're below the poverty line well, if they don't. Yeah. I, I I think a lot of people, f- um, that are older that went through college when we uh, when we did. Yeah. They don't. They don't realize unless their kids are in college and they're seeing these tuition yeah. firsthand. They didn't have this crippling debt. No, they don't really understand no. how impactful it is. No. Many of many of these young people assume they will never own a house because they're always going to have a student debt payment yep. of a thousand dollars a month. And so, you know, it's really changing the sort of the viewpoint of what it's going to be like to live. Um, as adults, having families, making all these major decisions. So we see this. We saw the financial crisis, right? And, and I mean, mm-hmm. th- this is this is a crisis. This literally, literally could easily cripple our economy. This is this is the yes. next bu- boom bust, right? Yeah. Like we yes. had credit card debt. The only difference that makes it even worse and more scary is that you cannot discharge your debt. Yeah. So right now there's like seven percent of was it seven percent one in seven people that have student loans are in default right now when they're in default you know these poor students and grads that can't pay for right for it they end up getting bad credit ratings right they maybe can never you know buy a house buy a car get a more whatever so it's um yeah it really impacts all the way through their lives. Yeah, if you want to get an apartment, if you want to get a job, then landlords and employers are going to run a credit check on you. That's become yeah. very common. It's now it's now unusual when a professional position does not require a credit check. And if you're in default on your student loans and you know your credit rating is 480 or whatever, right. that employer is going to say, well, you must not know how to manage your money. I don't want you managing whatever it is that you're going to be doing here. Right. right. And so we're not going to give you a job. And then that just makes that worse. It compounds the problem. Um, I, I want to go back to something that, that Julie was saying, too, about the, um, the, you know, the discharging of, of debt. And it's something that I just don't think that most people appreciate, that for almost the entire, for almost the entire history of this country, bankruptcy was, was designed to be a fresh start. And it was designed to encourage the entrepreneurial spirit for people to take chances 
and because overall that benefits society. Right. Um, yes, there are going to be some people who go into bankruptcy really shouldn't, but that's what courts are there for. And the creditors, the banks, et cetera, certainly are well represented by their attorneys. So I think the number of people who are really getting away without paying debt that really shouldn't is incredibly minimal. Um, but when you have your home mortgage, your car loan, et cetera, and you're paying two, 3% on those, and you're paying very often 8%, on your student loans, and those are risk-free to the federal government, then where is that money going? And, and I think your point, Julie, if I, if I understood it correctly, is you know, charge me the 3% that I would be paying on a home mortgage or a car loan, and, and that's kind of within the realm of reasonableness, but when it's 8%, what you're doing is you're having students subsidizing the federal government, or it's, it's, a, it's a tax yeah. on education. Well, and, and you think about, too, like a, another example is I work for a non-for-profit, so right now student loan debt forgiveness exists if I make it 10 years at my nonprofit potentially. And so I've taken that risk that I will get to 10 years with that company and that puts me in a lower payment bracket but the interest I'm paying more in interest every year in that student loan you know that income driven repayment plan then you know my interest is more than than my payment makes in a year and that's money that's not going into my retirement that's money that's not going to fund my kids' college. And we've got, you know, we've got one in college now and another couple potentially on the way in the next couple of years. And so we've got this kind of sandwich generation going on, too, where um, we're going to be paying off our college debt f until I'm probably 60 if student loan forgiveness, you know, wait doesn't minute, go away. Tell me that. Wait, oh. wait a minute. Uh, yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> yeah. That one right under that the cover still it was necessary. That went new. Yeah, you did, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be paying on my student or my why, kids why are go you to college. Take to the ring off of her finger check. <laughs> yeah. Won't even get I, close to student I, loan debt. It's a beautiful ring, but yeah, it's not going to get yeah, us there. Yeah, no, no. I, not to mention, I'd like to keep my life. <laughs> yes, tomatoes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I just think that that overall, you know, one other thing I was reading this morning when we were talking about this is that women have two thirds of the total college student loan debt. And so it, it adversely impacts black and brown people. Yes. And the institutions, but it also adversely impacts women and it keeps us from being able to start our own businesses, to put money into our retirement, to invest in ourselves yeah. and our families and there's not a lot we can do about it. You know, I mean, I was a single parent while I was in college and I know I have more debt because I needed help with childcare. I needed help with expenses to keep the lights on at our house so that I could go to college, even though I worked full time the entire time I was in university. And so you create this like, it's just a trap. I mean, it feels like a con game, right? Because Congress has us no matter what. We can't get rid of the debt. We have to pay whatever loan it is that or interest rate they give us. And if we try to refinance, for example, to a private loan that would have an interest rate that would be half of what I'm paying now, uh, I'm not eligible for any type of different payment plan. I'm not eligible for student loan forgiveness for you know my public service or anything. So you lose all of that opportunity yes. right, to kind of live wow. today versus being able to pay off your debt. 
and no one teaches you that when you get to university. No. Well, and, and uh, I mean, pretty much what I'm hearing, go figure, the disparity piece is that, you know, we, we want to try to, again, lift women up. We want to be able to lift, you know, brown and black people up. We want to be able to, to, to be. But this, again, part of the cycle is pushing them down further because they're receiving more debt than white dudes like me. Right. right. I mean, seriously. It, 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 and right. again, we, we talk about how we want to have a level playing field. And these are individuals who are trying to they're trying to get that education so that they can, you know, go and make more money. The problem is they get this crippling debt right out of the gate and they get more than the white dude like myself. Right. I mean, well, it's just another great example of institutional inequity. And I think most white people who appreciate their privilege and you know i'm white so i I recognize that i have some privilege but white men in particular who have the most privilege don't want to recognize that these institutional inequities exist that the system is just what the system is and we just keep going and suck it up right pull yourself up by the bootstraps be a good american and get it done it's it's a hell of a lot harder to pull yourself up by your bootstraps right if you're not a white dude exactly and Julie laughs because we're always, always talking about endowments and how there's so much money that's there. And this is yep. ridiculous. And there's no fucking reason for this. Not to mention, you talk about all the kids at Harvard could go to school for free. Fuck that. They can actually take a lot of that money and help subsidize a lot of these other colleges yep. and students. Right. Yep. So, I mean, right. this is this goes beyond that of that one institution. The wealth begets wealth. This needs to be infrastructure that actually feeds itself. Not to mention one last thing, I really believe that companies need to be putting money directly into and help building some of these uh, these skills gaps types of programs for development or bioengineering or whatever it is. They need to be putting their own money into that because the talent that they're getting is going to be creating wealth for them, right? They shouldn't just be sitting there waiting for, you know, these guys to pop out and then bitch because they're not getting the the, the skills gap right, right? If that's the case, put some fucking money into the goddamn institution and start building pipelines that will help you get where you need to go. Yeah, the, one of our um, former U.S. senators used to say that it's really hard to pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you don't have any boots. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the, the other thing that I just wanted to point out from what Julie was saying, too, is that the whole, the whole social inequity, it just keeps the cycles of a lot of uh, more of our socioeconomic issues. So when you say women have more student debt and black and brown people have more student debt, yeah. and then you look at those women, many of them are like you were, Julie, a single parent trying to make it and trying to better themselves by going to college, by getting that degree so they can have a better income when they come out. And yet it's a vicious cycle because now they're strapped with all this extra debt and then they're just stuck in the same place, even though they're. And the big question is, is it worth it? Right. Literally, is it worth it? Right. Could I yes. prospectively go to a tech college? I, I agree. I yeah. agree. But could I go to a yeah, it, a, a, a different type of uh, certification or something of that nature um, and not be strapped with this crazy debt that I'm going to be paying off my you know pretty much my entire damn life? A ton right. of the for a ton of the for profit schools where tuition tends to be the highest. Uh-huh. The loan default rates tend to be the highest. Yeah. Um, a ton of them, the programs are exactly the same or worse 
than what you see in community colleges. Right. And you'll pay $40,000 for a culinary degree at a for-profit school, and you'll pay $4,000 at a community college. Yeah. So why do people go to the for-profit schools? Well, one is they're much more aggressive in marketing. Yeah. Why do most, why do most people drink pe- Pepsi or Coke rather than rather than Shasta? Right. You know, right. And it, it's they're all colas, and the Shasta is going to quench your thirst. But but you know, they're the marketing dollars, the aggressiveness of the for-profit schools is far greater than community colleges, and the community colleges are so grossly underfunded yeah. that there simply yeah. aren't enough seats. Um, I, I hear these people, t- they tend to be people who are highly educated themselves and whose kids are going to USC and Harvard and whatever, right. and they say, oh, well, then don't go to school. Don't go to college. That that's the answer. Like everybody's going to be like a, a software developer in San Francisco, where you right. don't actually need a college degree. It's like, um, yeah. The reality is, is that if you don't go to college, you are almost certainly destined to living e- either in poverty or one paycheck away from poverty for the rest of your life. So people who say just don't go to college, that's your own fault. Fuck that. Yeah. Unless you, unless you want to be a plumber or an HVAC today, and those yep. guys are making some damn good money yeah. because right. because they, there aren't any around anymore, right? And 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 AI is going to be have a very hard time taking over plumbing jobs. Yes. Okay, guys. Well, I again, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and uh, if listeners want to learn more about you guys and what you do, where where should they go? They should go to collegerecruiter.com. Uh huh. And uh, they can learn more about us on the about, pa- about Us page. They can email us at faith at collegerecruiter.com or Stephen at collegerecruiter.com if they want to engage in the conversation. Uh, it's something I'm extremely passionate about, and you'll continue to see more from us about, on the topic for we sure. We are too. We are too. Yep. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, yeah, guys. Thank you. See you soon. Mm-hmm. Thank you. See you soon. We out. Hi, I'm Emma. Thanks for listening to my dad, the Chad, and his buddy Cheese. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Be sure to check out our sponsors because their money goes to my college fund. For more, visit chadcheese.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.